titles, these titles. God, are you in control of my life? And, well, I'm sorry. The actually was, God, are you in control of my life or not? Question mark, exclamation mark. Sub, uh, subtitles explain the situation that the question is, are you in charge of my life? If you are, why is my life out of control? Why is everything hitting the fan? Where are you? There's an interesting machloket argument. We spoke about this. It comes up almost every time we get a little beneath the surface of faith. And that is the question of Hashem's control versus freedom of choice. Rambam spells out the question. He, I'm not going to use the word fumbles, but in the simple sense of the talk, he fumbles when it comes to the answer. And derive it, picks up on it, and says, what are you saying to me? That this is not, it's more than is possible to explain in an answer. Then why'd you ask the question? Why'd you open the can of worms that you say that you cannot deal with? That needs to be explained. With that being said, with that being said, I'm not tonight going to talk about the topic of freedom of choice versus divine providence. That's not tonight's topic. Tonight's topic is going to accept that they both coexist, which is the true answer. And yet, nevertheless, what I want to focus on tonight is why, if everything is divine providence and God is in control of everything, why is there such freedom of choice? How does God work? Why don't we have the luxury to tap into emunah and hand everything over to God? And I begin with a story. The Baal Shem Tov, once he was in need of money, he walked over to the tris, the um, shutter that was outside someone's window. He knocked on the tris and he walked away. And they asked him, Rebbe, why did you do that? And he said, I need sustenance. And the verse clearly states, Masayedecha, it has to be the work of your hands. Hashem wants hishtadlut. Hashem wants us to do something. So I had to do something. So I went and I knocked on the trees. I knocked on the shutters. So he said, Rebbe, if you believe that you have to work through nature and not through miracles, then why do you knock on the tris and walk away? You knocked on the tris. Wait till he comes and then get money. And if you believe that you don't need nature, you can rely on miracles, why do you leave your house in the middle of learning and go knock on the door, on the window? The shutter. Memanashich. Pick something. And the Baal answered, for a man of my stature, that was enough of hishtadlut. All I needed to do was some type of physical vessel. I did it. So for a person who's not on my stature of a munah, he has to not just knock on the tris. He has to go and make cold calls and follow up and song and dance and wine and dine. And then hopefully you squeeze out a deal. But for a person of my stature, I don't need so much hishtadlut. But being that Hashem wants hishtadlut, 
He wants our input, our partnership, not just on a spiritual level of learning and praying, but of actually going out to earn a living. For me, that was enough. And I tell you the story not to marvel at the Baal Shem Tov, that that was enough, but rather to ponder upon the fact that even a person like the Baal Shem Tov has to go out of his house and knock on the window shutters because that's what God wants. Not what God needs, what God wants. And when I say not what God needs, because we're told the story in the Talmud of the prophet that rebukes the Jewish people, how can you not learning, how can you not davening? And they say, what do you want? We have to earn a living. And he takes out the jar of manna that God told Moshe to put away for exactly such an occasion, for a remembrance. And he says, he who supplied this in the desert will supply for you. And yet, nevertheless, with knowing that God doesn't need our hishtadlut, God wants our hishtadlut. So really what we're talking about tonight is not where the dichotomy, the contradiction, the conflict lies between God does everything, He's in control of everything, He knows everything, and freedom of choice. I'm not looking at the conflict, but rather quite the contrary. And thus understand that the question which titles tonight's lecture is actually an expression of frustration because most of us would rather say, just take it off my lap. Let me place it on your lap, God, and then let me go to Tibet and meditate upon your greatness. Isn't that what you want from us, God? Don't you want us to meditate about you? Do you really want me to be busy knocking on Tresim? Do you really want me fundraising? Do you really want me sitting and spending most of my day looking at the budget, wondering how we're going to put this together, making calls and trying to create? Don't you want me to live the spiritual life, teach, love? Isn't that what you want? What is it about having me make calls for solicitation that tickles your fancy rather than me giving another three shiurim? writing another four emails, reaching out to another six Jews who need help. What is it about this hishtadlut that's so important to you, dear God, to the point of my frustration? Why isn't emunah enough? So much so that I have my pet peeve when I see people use the Garden of Amuna in the wrong way. I really have a personal pet peeve when someone gives me the story of, and I couldn't, I didn't know how I was going to pay, they shut off my phone, they were going to repossess my car, and I read in the Garden of Amuna, Amuna, and I did my Amuna, and I opened up the drawer, and I'm telling you, Rabbi, right there, I couldn't believe it, I must have emptied out my pockets four weeks ago and forgot about it, there was $250, da-da-da-da-da, I love those stories like you have no idea. Not. Do those stories exist? Yes. But when you start talking to me about a form of living, a form of emunah, a form of relationship with Hashem, that's not what He wants. 
emuna void of hishtadlut is not what God wants. Hishtadlut void of emuna is also not what God wants. And tonight I want to know why does he want hishtadlut? Hishtadlut is my input, my work, effort. my effort. Thank you. So much so that when I want to focus on the munah of God and I'm really working on my bitachon and I see myself sinking rapidly and I see everything hitting the fan in every area of my life and then I see everything spiral out of control I scream in frustration God, where are you? Now, I must be honest, me personally, <laughs> I don't scream, God, where are you? I just don't. Not my hard work in the Munah, just growing up on the laps that I grew up. It's never by me the question, God, where are you? It's usually with some very deep frustration, God, what do you want from me? Clenched fist, tightened face. It's not, where are you? I know that it's you. That's not my struggle. Honestly, that's not my struggle. Where are you, God? I know where you are. You're right here laughing your head off. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but be it as it may, that's my frustration. What do you want from me? Now, understanding that, we need to answer that question. What does Hashem want from me? What does Hashem want with Ishtadlut? What's the purpose of Ishtadlut? So much so that God will see us suffer and not deny us the beautiful gift of hishtadlut. I'm going to say that again. So much so is it important to God, our hishtadlut, our effort, that He will see us suffer and yet not rob us of that gift of hishtadlut. And thus we get to this week's Torah Pasha. Shlach lecha what does Rashi say? Lidatcha. And Moses approaches God and tells God, the Jewish people want to send spies. They want to meragel the land. They want to spy on the land. They want to hear reports. And Moses turns to God and says this. And God says, Shlach lecha anashim. And the question is, why the word lecha? Send for your sake, men. And whenever that word lecha appears, Rashi is bothered and speaks up. First time you've seen this was when God told Avram, lech lecha, go for your sake. What does that mean? So Rashi gives three answers. The word lecha, God saying something, not for me, for you. So what Avram Avinu was done lovingly. I'm telling you, leave the home for your wealth, for your fame, for you to have children. But here, what does it mean, shlach lecha? Rashi says over here, it wasn't said so lovingly. It wasn't said so fondly. It was, they still lack in emuna. Ten plagues, splitting the sea, mana, water of a rock, clouds, a pillar of fire, and they still lack in emuna. They won't walk blindly into the land knowing that this war is mine, not theirs. They want 
to know what they're getting into. Okay. I'm telling you they should have faith. This is a breach of emunah in me, says God. But shlach lecha, you want, you send them. I am not commanding you to. This is not with my blessings and desire. It's with my permission. Those of us here who already have children know exactly what that feels like. When you tell your kids, you want to, fine. You hope that your kid would say, well, sorry, Dad. You know what? I see you don't want to forget it. <laughs> Very few kids are born like that. And we did it to God. So much so that our sages ask, <laughs> why did Moses send it? Why didn't Moses come back to the Jews and say, uh, God said okay, but he wasn't really happy with it, so we're going to nick this plan. Let's get it off the plan. We'll, we're just going to go, okay? He said we could if we want to, but I, 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 I sense the tone in God's voice. I don't think we should do this. And he didn't. Moses just went on as if he, <laughs> the way my kid would go on, totally ignoring the tone of my voice and, and discontent. You said yeah, Tati. What do you want? You said yeah. That's pretty much what Moses did to God. But you said, yeah, right? Why? The Rebbe, blessed memory, shares an insight to this Rashi, which is the foundation of this entire lecture tonight, which will answer the question of why to God the hishtadlut that comes along with the human imperfection is more valuable and precious to God than the emunah which comes along with divine perfection. Let me say that sentence again. We're going to experience now why to God human effort with human imperfection is more precious than the emunah with divine perfection. The Rebbe explains as follows. Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu the following. Moshe, they shouldn't need spies. A man of your stature of faith would never have asked that. But understand something. I want their relationship with the land of Israel to be real on their terms. If I command them, they will listen but then I've never allowed them to develop their own love in their own terms. It'll be my divine imposition upon them, which forces them to love. Forced love is not internal. And that's the conversation that Hashem was having at Moshe Rabbeinu. Hashem was telling Moshe Rabbeinu, you're about to feel the pains of parenthood. You're going to back off, watch your kid make a mistake, watch them fall flat on their face, watch them be punished and wander for 40 years in the desert, and as much as you're going to sit there plotting, knowing that you could stop it, you could do it for them, nevertheless, because you're a true parent who wants to see your child be able to stand on his own two feet, 
you're going to back off, let them go through it all, so at the end, in 40 years from now, it'll be real. Jewish parents are not very good at this. Jewish parents really are not that very good at this. Jewish parents are notorious for cultivating, what's the word I want to use here? Normally they joke around and say etrog, but for us, let's just talk about Jewish parents are notorious for cultivating fine protected porcelain rather than experiential children. And then we wonder why our children aren't ready for life. There's this horrible, bittersweet moment when your child really doesn't need you. That's a very, very bittersweet moment. To put it this way, as someone once told me, beautifully said, the, child, the job of a parent is to make his position unnecessary. The ultimate position of a parent is to become a sage, a wise sage, who's turned to when his or her advice is seeked and gives the type of wisdom that you'll never find in the books. En chacham There is no wise person like he who has experience. Most parents don't want to be a sage. Most parents want to be Messiah. The one who scoops down and takes care of all the children's problems and even goes on to tell the child it's not his fault, the principal is stupid, the teacher should have been fired long ago, I can't believe this. Instead of telling the kid, sweetie, this one's all yours. I actually witnessed such a thing, a classmate of mine who came from, uh, comes from an affluent home, should live and be well, and he racked up a phone bill like you've never seen before. He sent it to his parent like he does every month. And I remember that moment when he got back a mail, he opened it up and he was shocked and basically said, sweetie, this one's all yours. I will share with you, <laughs> I'm on recording, my class might listen to this, I should be careful, <laughs> but I will share with you the difference between someone who comes from an affluent home and never got that message versus the one that does get that message. The difference of responsibility, the difference of the pain level that each one of those two classmates experienced when they got married. One was bred to be responsible, the other one did some treading water for a while before he got onto his own two feet. God and Moses had to make that decision. Do we impose upon them the right way? Or do we let them find their own way? Let me say that again. Do we impose upon them the right way because it was absolutely wrong to tell God that they want to send spies? <laughs> you ever heard that? I trust you, but... 
That's pretty much what they told God. Of course, you would never hurt us. We trust you, but we're going to send our spies. <laughs> you know that type of Amuna that always has a plan B in case it doesn't work out? So God had a choice. Do I force them to do it the right way? Or do I allow them to find their own way? I once heard a sikh of the Rebbe Blessed Memory talking about the role that Rebbe plays. It's a very, very, very beautiful sikh talk in which the Rebbe pretty much explained that the one thing a Rebbe does not do is take away freedom of choice. There are numerous stories. There's actually one story of the Rebbe with uh, Ariel Sharon about such a story. Without getting into details and stories, but even when the Rebbe did have to let someone know that what you're doing is dangerous, it was always with a choice. It was never, don't do this. It was, I'd like to ask you to do this. I'd like to suggest go through here and not through there. Because the one thing that Rebbe will never rob us of is freedom of choice, regardless of his divine knowledge or not. What we so often sit in frustration is, why didn't you just stop me from doing this? Why did you let me do this? You knew. The obvious answer is, that as much as we were hurting, not, I shouldn't say we were, as much as we are hurting now over what we did, can you imagine how a Rebbe, a Moses, Hashem, how a father feels when he has to watch his son or daughter make that mistake? Do you know that one of the most painful things that goes on in therapy when children and parents come is when the therapist tells the parent, you've got to back off. But don't you understand if I back off, he doesn't even realize what he's doing. He's going to destroy himself. He's never going to get into any college. And then he's going to ruin his life. And da, 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 da. I'm a parent. I can't just sit by and watch this. And a good therapist says, that's what you have to do. You're going to have to let him or her do what they're doing. That's not easy. That's not easy. The stakes go very high in addiction. When a parent has to tell their child, I'm going to kick you out of my house because I'm not going to sit here and watch you kill yourself. You want to do that, I can, I'm not going to stop you. But I'm not going to sit here and watch it. I'll cry every night. That's not easy. That's not easy. But if you don't do that, you're going to create a codependent child who will never be able to maintain a healthy relationship, never be able to handle life, and is going to end up a burden to him or herself and to everyone around him. So Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe, I know, I know this is going to hurt you. I know that how many times you've told me to take your life rather than to hurt the Jewish people. But we have no choice. If we want the Jewish people to develop, 
You're going to have to go to your tent and say, Tehillim, I'm going to have to sit in heaven and cry over my children, and they're going to do what they need to do. That's the story of this week's Parsha. And now we ask ourselves, God, are you in control of my life or not? And if you are, where are you when I am banging my head into the wall? Where are you when I sabotage my entire life? Where are you? Why do you let me do this? Don't you love me? And the answer is, yes. And the answer is, it's because I love you that I want you to be you. I don't want to see a mirror of me in you. For that, I have angels. That's not what I need humans for. What's the outcome? The outcome is that one day when we get our junk together, when we've tried every other path and there's nothing left but the right path, it's going to be me. It's not going to be a dibuk taking over my psyche, forcing me to do what's right. It's going to be me. Bruised up, rich with experience, but it's going to be me. I'm going to find myself. I'm going to find God's love for me. I'm going to find my love for God. That's why Hashem said, Shlach Lecha Anashim. That's why God said, Moses, back off. Back off. Bite your nails, cry, say to heal him. Sit there on spilkes at the edge of your seat, begging me, just, just let me, just, just let me do this one thing for them. No. No. You know, very often when there's divorce going on and the issue becomes that one side is worried, the kids, the kids, very often I find myself telling that side, trust your kids. Trust them. Trust them. They'll know what's right. They'll see. They won't forever be bought off by his wealth. They won't very long be excited about zero discipline. Oh, you'll go through hell. It's going to take you a long time. Enticement is enticement. That's pretty powerful. But trust your kids. The first, the first one to ever trust his kids was God in this week's Parsha. It's okay, Moses. Shlach lecha. Let them. Let them. It's what they need to do. It's what they need to do. Don't rob them of their journey.
had a friend who texted me last week, going through my own little uh, stuff. And my friend texts me, I wish I was a genie and can make all your problems go away. And I responded, but that would rob me of my journey. Don't do that. I don't need a genie. I need a friend. Thank you for being a friend. I was sitting in the car once with my brother, landed in JFK, two Russian brothers. One was arrested. Geschäft. And they were going through a very hard time. And one of them, the one that picked us up, tells my brother, Rabbi, we were going to the Ohel. They were taking us to the Ohel. And we're talking about prayer. And he's telling my brother that the hardships they're going through. And my brother tells him these words. Don't worry. His name is Boris. Makes no difference. You guys don't know anyway. There's a million Borises. Boris, don't worry. We're going to die by the Ohel. You're going to see it's going to be so good. You're not going to have to work. And it's going to be better than before. I remember this was, whoa, this was 20, 20 years ago, 19 years ago. And he stopped and he turned around to my brother and he says, absolutely not. And I'm like, well, that was a lovey-dovey blessing. Why not? And he says, Rabbi, we don't want not to work. We don't want God to do our work for us. We actually insist on working. All we ask is that he bless our work. That's a mature man. One that wasn't brought up on Pixar or Hollywood. One that was brought up on the real streets of Russia. What a beautiful thing. Shlach lecha ledaitcha. Moses, back off. Let them do it their way. Otherwise, we'll never have them. Do you want them? Do you want to have a relationship with them? Then let them be them. Let them work it out. Trust them. It'll take 40 years. A turnover of an entire generation. It's okay. They're my boys. They'll be back. And when they do, it'll be real. And every time you get frustrated, every time it looks like God's jinxing you, not only isn't he there for you, he's actually... As they say in Yiddish, telling Fiselach, they're tripping you. Just realize, Ledaitcha. He wants you. He doesn't want perfection, he wants precious you. So much so that he made Moses back off. So, what we see tonight here is that to God, the preciousness of effort, which is what makes it real for you, is what God wants more than anything else. Give me the imperfect you rather than a reflection of the perfect me. That's what God tells us. That's it for tonight, guys.